Today's episode is filmed the day of the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The world is remembering the notorious RBG, the second female Supreme Court Justice in America and the longest serving woman on the High Court who fought for civil rights and gender equality. Her dissenting opinions in cases like Shelby County v Holder are reflections of her remarkable jurisprudence. This SCOTUS vacancy will become one of the main issues in this upcoming election. Will Trump replace her with a nominee supported by the GOP-controlled Senate? Let's first talk about how this nomination process actually works. First, the nomination is sent to the Senate Judiciary Committee and a confirmation hearing occurs. Then, the committee votes on whether the nomination moves forward through a pluralistic vote and needs approval from 51 members to be confirmed. Just a few days ago, she said in a statement to her granddaughter that she wishes not to be replaced until the next presidential election. Mitch McConnell stated this morning that whoever President Trump nominates, there will be a vote on the Senate floor. Texas Senate Ted Cruz hoped to name a nominee as early as next week. However, this replacement must happen after the election. After Chuck Grassi refused to allow Obama a nomination to fill the Supreme Court vacancy, don't you think that this rule must apply today, four years later? The Thurmond rule was raised again in a public discourse in February 2016 after the death of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. President Barack Obama said that he would nominate a candidate for the open seat, nominating Merrick Garland in March, but with just one year remaining in Barack Obama's second term, and Republicans claimed that the Thurmond rule for categorically refusing to vote on any Obama nominee must prevail. This is what Mitch McConnell said in 2016 when Scalia died, so this shows major, major hypocrisy. He said that the American people should have a voice in the selection of their next Supreme Court justice. Therefore, this vacancy should not be filed until we have a new president. Now, he wants to replace her with people like Ted Cruz under consideration. It's not a law, this is simply a tradition, and the idea is not to mix the legal system with politics because that breaks democracy. It's in no way written in the law, but it is unconventional. In a Republican-controlled Senate, with enough votes, they can fast-track it if desired. Now, of course, Mitch McConnell's calculus has changed. With a slim but steady majority for the Senate, a Vice President Mike Pence able to break a tie, McConnell feels confident he can confirm Trump's nominee and get his people to vote out again, this time in gratitude. Democrats see all of this as their Senate leader Chuck Schumer called it the height of hypocrisy. But will that move voters in the direction more now than it did in 2016 or motivate the disaffected with their base? Some say the Democrats hurt themselves two years ago with the first nominee who would not excite the party's base. Whatever his evident virtues, Garland was another white male who was 63 years old, moderate, and could not promise decades as a liberal warrior. There is also ample evidence that the Supreme Court motivates conservatives more than it does progressives. This has often been the case since Roe v. Wade abortion legislation decisions in 1973 launched an era of social issue backlash that would split the old democratic coalition. 
It has further been argued that the Democrats caved to Mitch McConnell's pressure tactics in the Garland case. They should have found a way to force or shut down the Senate to light a spark. But Democrats are generally averse to the government shutdown strategies, especially in considering the potential blowback on their own candidates. In 2016, it was still the Obama era and the Democrats' executive administration, so shutdowns rarely helped the party to be perceived as they were in power, even if it's not really in their control. So it was safer, therefore, in the judgments of spring and summer 2016 to let the Republicans look intraxent and unfair and hope somebody noticed. Perhaps the injustice to Garland would help Democrats win seats in supposedly blue states such as Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, and even red ones such as Missouri and North Carolina. Instead, the country moved on. There were highly contentious primaries in both parties and plenty of other news to preoccupy everyone. Besides, and lest we forget, the Senate Democrats and most, mostly everyone else thought that they had an insurance policy on the Scalia vacancy. The assumption that was Hillary Clinton would be elected. Clinton, who did all that, after all, win the popular vote by several million votes, even might have helped to carry it on in the Democratic Senate. And she would have renominated Garland or someone younger and more liberal. As it sorted out, the Democrats were cautious, overconfident, and misinformed about the mood of the country. They lost Wisconsin, they lost Pennsylvania, Missouri, North Carolina, and winding up still in the majority. That left them powerless to stop Mitch McConnell from eliminating the filibuster for the Supreme Court nominees in 2017, paving the way to confirmation of Trump's first choice, and probably his second. And that is the predicament in which they find themselves today. This section of the episode is filmed after Trump's nomination, just eight days after the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Quote, Trump said, Today it is my honor to nominate one of our nation's most brilliant and gifted legal minds to the Supreme Court. She is a woman of unparalleled achievement, towering intellect, sterling credentials, and unyielding loyalty to the Constitution. Judge Amy Coney Barrett. 